Open your Bibles to the book of Job. Job 34. Job 34 and verse 32. While you are turning, let me say what a joy it is to be here. I'm so glad to see you. We have been away a long time. And we love you and have prayed for you. And we were most encouraged when we saw marks of grace. And I saw that especially in our dear brother Cornet, who served so diligently, so faithfully. And a blessing to see you um, yesterday as we gathered for Marius homegoing. Uh, it was hard, but joyful to know that he is with our Lord and healed of all his sin and of all his pain. And how we are glad to see you today. Job 34 and verse 32. We memorized this a few years ago, and we are now going to examine this. I preached on this message before during our series in humility, but there is so much in this one verse that even now I have two more sermons past the four-page sermon that I have for this morning, and this sermon is different from the one that I preached before, so we may just do a series on this one verse. The old Puritans were good at preaching an entire book from one verse. One of my favorite books is a book called The Sinfulness of Sin by Ralph Venning. One verse, and the man preached for months from Romans 7, verse 14. And this is one of those kinds of verses. It deserves months or a year of study. In one sense, you could say much of the Christian life and much of the Bible is found in this one verse. Let's try to examine it this morning. In, in verse 32, teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do it no more. Those are not the words of Job. Those are the words of a man named Elihu. He's a young man, the youngest of all the speakers. You remember the story, don't you? Job is now about 70 years old. He has children who are all old. They have their own homes. They have their own families. And they've all died by the act of God. And then Job loses his massive wealth. By acts of God, not one or two or three, but repeated acts of God, he loses his wealth. And then he loses his health. And of course, Job stands as the impossible hurdle for the prosperity gospel. The fools, the wolves, and the false teachers who teach that God wants you to be healthy cannot handle the book of Job, which is why Benny Hinn famously said, quoting Job chapter 1, the Lord gives and the Lord never takes away. Job was wrong. Close quote, Benny Hinn. That's one of the wicked, evil, godless children of Satan who is trying to lead you and your children to hell and whose doctrine is being preached in this town as I'm speaking. That cannot be held when you read the book of Job. 
which is why they don't read the book of Job. They trip lightly over it. Job has these calamities, and then his friends come to hear him. In Job chapter 2 and verse 11, it says that men far and wide heard about Job's pain. You see, what was his pain? His children died. What was his pain? He lost all of his money. What was his pain? He lost all of his health. What was his pain? His wife turned against him. What was his pain? Then his friends came to see him. In Job chapter 2, verse 11, it says his friends came from far away. Now, news doesn't travel quickly when you don't have what's up. So how did his friends hear? They came from three different areas, and they had to meet at an appointed city far from Job, and then they traveled together in a caravan. It says that in Job chapter 2. And they traveled to meet him, but he had already been suffering for months. Job chapter 7 verse 3 says he suffered for months. Again, Job chapter 29 verse 2 says that Job went through months of anguish. So here is Job suffering for a long time and his friends hear about it. They send messages to each other and say, let's go visit him. They put aside their business cares. They travel to a city. It'd be like someone coming from Bloemfontein on a horse and someone else coming from Harare on a horse and someone else coming from Mozambique and they all meet in Louis Tricart and they're going to go to Dendron another two hours away and they travel and meet in Louis Tricart and then they travel even farther. In Job chapter 2 it says when they got near to him they couldn't even tell who it was and so they sat for seven days without talking. The first man to speak is Job. Job does the talking. He speaks in chapter 3 and 4 and 5. An opening speech where he says, How can I take this? Why did my life turn this way? Haven't I been a godly man? And he asks the question that you ask when you wreck your bucky. He asks the question you ask when your wife loses a child. He asks the question you ask when you're single without a wife or a husband, he asks the question you ask when your life is in pain, when your husband leaves you, when there's family problems, and you say, why God? Job does that in Job chapters 3 and 4 and 5. Now, on top of all the pain that Job experienced, there's something remarkable at the end of the book. In Job chapter 42, verse 7, after Job is rebuked by his three friends, and after Job is rebuked again for a different problem by Elihu, the young man, then Job is rebuked by whom? God himself. Can you imagine that? You're a good man. You love God. You're walking in, 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 according to the Bible. 
and your three friends rebuke you, and then a young man rebukes you for a different matter, and then God rebukes you. In Job chapter 42, verse 5, he says, I repent. I hate myself because now mine eyes have seen you. Ah. Verse 7. God comes and says, Job, I forgive you and I love you. Before God gives Job new family, new wealth, restored health, before the blessing comes, what does God do? He cuts Job even deeper. And then when Job is humbled, then and only then does he go to the friends. And in Job 42 verse 7, Job rebukes the three friends and says, I am angry with you because you have not spoken the thing that is right about my servant Job. He says it two times. He says, I won't even take your sacrifices or hear your prayers. Wow, these were bad men. I won't even listen to you. I'm so angry with you. But maybe the very good man, Job, that you've just slandered for day after day, maybe that very good man, if he will pray for you, I might forgive you. Can you imagine that? If you're Job, you just feel like, like there's a storm in your mind. And now you're humbled before God and you plead, have mercy on my three friends who persecuted me. Can you do that? Can you pray for the people who are bringing more, who are adding pain to your pain? Is there anyone in your life who should be giving you comfort, but instead adds pain to your pain? And God says, before I heal you, Job, I want you to go and pray for your friends. And Job does. And God heals Job and restores him. And now here's one of the points I want to bring out. Job 42 verse 11 says, then, then, Job's friends and family came and listened and sympathized and supported and loved him and gave him financial gifts. God withheld Job's supporting friends. God blocked his kind and merciful family from coming and giving sympathy to Job. God said, on top of the loss of your children, on top of the loss of your wealth, on top of the loss of your health, on top of problems with your wife, I'm going to send you three unsympathetic, foolish people to add more pain and more temptation to you. And even though you have good people in your life, I'm going to stop them from calling you. I'm going to stop them from contacting you because I want the temptation to be even harder. But if you will humble yourself, then I'll say, ah, now Job, I'll pull it back. Go ahead. Go ahead, friends. Go comfort that man and bring your money with you. 
Isn't this a remarkable story? That is the context where Elihu rebukes Job. You see, because Job was a good man from one perspective, but the pain that Job had gone through caused him to say some foolish things. For example, in Job 9, verse 23, Job attacks God and says, you don't even care about us. It's nothing to you to just crush us. He says it again in Job 9, verse 31. Job gets angry and lashes out in bitterness. You don't care about us at all. You'll overthrow us. Job praises himself more than he should in Job chapter 30, verses 5 and 6. He says good things about himself that are too strong. In fact, Job 31, go go in your Bibles to Job 31. Go to Job 31. And there's one little word I want you to see. Look at verse uh, verse 5, the word if. Do you all see the word if in verse 5? How many times is it in verse 5? Look in verse 7. What's the first word? First word of 9. First word of 13. First word of 16. uh, 19. 20. 21. 24. 25. 26. 29. 31. 33. 38, 39, etc., etc. What is Job saying when he says if? Each time in Job 31, he's saying, if I have sinned, then it's right for me to suffer. In other words, Job is saying every time, I really am a good person. I haven't sinned in my thoughts. I haven't sinned in my youth. I haven't sinned with my money. I haven't sinned against the poor people. I haven't sinned against my family. He says that in Job 31. You read through Job 31 and you'll see. Job is saying, I am a perfect man. That's the last word. In Job 31, look at verse verse 40. What are the last words of verse 40? Job 31, verse 40. The words of Job are ended. The last thing Job has to say is, I'm a good man. Oh, Job, you fell. You fell to the temptation. You see, when you lost your kids, did he get angry at God? No. When you lost your wealth or your health or your wife, did you get angry at God? No. But when your friends came and just pushed you and pushed you and pushed you, the subtle temptation of bad, unsympathetic friends pushed Job over the edge and Job went too far. He he was strong against the, the clear temptations. But he fell on the subtle temptation. And I see the work of Satan in Job's three friends. That's like us, friends. You say, I've never committed adultery. I didn't leave my wife. What kind of subtle things are you doing in your heart and life and soul? 
I don't get drunk. What subtle things has Satan used to trip you up? Well, I love Jesus. What little foxes are spoiling your vines? This morning, I would like to preach to you on blind spots revealed by prayer. Because Elihu gives Job a prayer to pray. Elihu says to Job, I'm going to have to tell you what you did not see. And look at verse 31, Job 34, verse 31. It's difficult Hebrew if you're in verse 31. Most of your translations put it as a question. Here's what most translations say. For has anyone said to God? Raise your hand if your Bible says, has anyone said to God? Okay, the ESV, the New American Standard, the New King James say that. The King James says, surely... It is right to be said to God. The New Living Translation says, Can anyone say this to God? The NIV says, No one says this to God. The Hebrew is a little difficult, but we all know this. Elihu is telling Job, If you're really a perfect man, shouldn't you pray like this? And then in verse 31 and 32, we have his prayer. What's the prayer? Look down at verse 31. Here's the prayer. I have borne punishment. I will not offend anymore. I will not sin anymore. So the first part of the prayer that Elihu tells Job to pray is this. Go to God and say, oh God, you've punished me, and now I will stop my sin. Would that be a good prayer for you to pray today? God, you've done these hard things to me, and because you did the hard things, I will stop my sin. That's the first part. But verse 32 that we've memorized is the next part of the prayer. Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do it no more. This is the prayer that Elihu says to Job. Job, you should not close your words with Job chapter 31. Am I not perfect? That's not what you should say, Job. You should rather pray, oh God, I think that I'm a good guy. But will you serve as my teacher? Can I enroll in your school Can you come to me and teach me? Can you reveal to me the things that I cannot see? This morning, I want to preach to you on the subject of blind spots revealed by prayer. And I want to urge you, pray for God to show you your blind spots. For the month of September, we are going to be praying as a church, Job 34, 32. If you know it, say it with me. 
Job 34, 32. Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do it no more. Job 34, 32. Some of you have probably thought, how do I pray that for a month? Okay, the first day I say, God, please show me my sin. Amen. And then the next day, um, what I said yesterday, please show me my sin. And then you've done two days, and by the third day, you say, what do I say now? Have any of you thought that? Anyone thought that? I would like to give you this morning 24 ways to pray this prayer. Almost one per month. I think that you will say, at the end of this, if you'll just take one of these per day, it may be too much for you. You might have to take one for three days. But I'm going to give you 24 ways to pray this prayer. Or as many as I have time to get through. If you want the notes, I'll give you them afterward. Job 34, verse 32, teach me what I do not see. What does that mean? Number one, every one of these points will start with the word, show me, show me, show me. Number one, you can pray, show me the sins of my habit. Show me the things that I do by habit. Show me the things that are my personality. Why would you pray that? Because the things you do by habit are the things you don't see. You don't see the way you answer people. You think you're answering people kindly. Other people think you're answering people like a jerk. You think you're being gracious and sweet. And they think, oh, don't get around that guy. You think you're being strong and wise. And they think you're being a fool. You think you're saying good words. And they think, when will that guy stop talking? Show me the sins of my habit. My personality, my culture, my heritage, my country have all taught me to act in a certain way. Did you know that there are many stereotypes that are good? Some are bad. A stereotype is a judgment about a group. Can we make judgments about groups? Oh, sure we can. Boys like girls. That's a stereotype. And it's true. Girls like clothes. It's a stereotype, and it's true. The issue is not, can we have stereotypes? The issue is, can we have good ones or bad ones? We need good stereotypes. Everyone who sells a product makes stereotypes because they know the kind of person who wants to buy this watch or this phone or this shirt or this car, they like that kind of thing. And so they make their adverts in order to sell their product. What kind of stereotypes fit your culture? Titus 1 verse 12, the people on the island of Crete are liars. That's a stereotype, and it's in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 1 22, the Jews love big shows. They're sensational. That's 1 Corinthians 1 Oh, that's anti-Semitic. It's a Jew saying it, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Greeks are intellectual. 1 Corinthians 1 The Irish are stingy. I'm... Just telling you common stereotypes that people have said. The Americans 
are self-centered or loud or proud. The Afrikaner, the show, we can discuss that afterward. My point is, have you ever prayed, oh God, show me the sins that I do because of my culture that I don't even see? We've got them. You see, I can see some of your culture's sins because I'm coming from outside. You can see my culture's sins. The closer you get to me, the more you say, oh my, I like him in this way and this way, but in that way, oh, those Americans. Fair enough. So I need to be praying this verse to see the things I don't see. Stereotypes of sex. Men are lazy, Proverbs 24. Men are lustful, Proverbs 5, 6, 7, 9. Men are tempted not to love their wives. Husbands, love your wives. Why is that in the Bible? Because husbands are tempted to love themselves. And they need to love their wives. Women, they're easily provoked. They're easily deceived, 1 Timothy 2.14. If there's a woman right now who's angry, isn't that what I just said? If you say, well, that's not true, fair enough. You tell me what they are. You tell me. Tell me the four things that men are commonly tempted with. Tell me the four things that women are commonly tempted with. My point is, go and pray. This month, take time to pray. Lord, show me the things that I am tempted with because I'm a man, because I'm a woman, that I've not even thought about. Stereotypes of this present age. What are the kinds of sins that we're tempted with in 2022 that they weren't tempted with in 1822? What are some things? Uh, Distractions from technology? What about the spirit of entitlement? Did anyone in 1822 demand free education? Were there riots in 1822 in Bloemfontein for free education? No, there weren't. Entitlement. This is my right. You got to give me my grant. You got to give me my school. You got to give me this and give me, give me. Why weren't there rights? Because that age had its sins, and our age has different sets of sins. Entitlement, and that brings another thing, ungrateful. Has any age been as tempted to being ungrateful as we are? I've seen this. Have you seen this? When I'm given a gift, I'm tempted to say, well, I don't know if I like this. We were just back in the U.S., and my wife went to a shop and bought me a shirt My wife bought me a shirt. She gave me a gift. And do you know what I said? Oh, thanks, but I don't really like it. And I thought, what am I saying? Now she gives me a gift. And I'm assuming, you know what? Actually, I'm not going to take this gift unless it's exactly the precise thing that... Where did that come from? It came because I was born in 1978. And it came from my sinful heart. And I need to pray Job 34, 32. Reveal to me my sins. Entitled, ungrateful, petty, trite, simple, gullible. We accept that the world is going to end because of climate change. And who tells us the world is going to end by climate change? People flying around the world on private jets to meet in Europe, spending more 
fossil fuels on their private jets to go to Europe than whole villages or towns do in America or South Africa. There was a big meeting in California a few years ago where they invited Hollywood celebrities and many of them flew in their private jets to talk about climate change. And some conservatives added up the amount of fossil fuels and said, you guys wasted more fossil fuels telling us not to use it than we use in a year. We are in a, a time when we have si- certain sins of the age. My, my, first, my first category is this. Pray that God would show you the sins of your habits, the sins of the group you're in that you don't even realize you're doing. If, if you've heard any of the examples I've given, you said, well, that doesn't fit me. Fair enough. You make the list yourself, but you won't be able to do it unless you really think about it. And that's the whole point of Job 34, 32. Go think about it. What are the sins of the Vendas? Oh, we, we don't have any. Now the Shangans, they've got some problems. Oh, right. Go pray that God would show you the sins of Louis Tricart. Show you the sins of the things that you're doing, of the workplace you're involved in. Number two, Show me the sins of my youth. If you are older, have you ever taken stock of how bad your sins were when you were a child? Think about the worst things you did when you were 9, 11, 15, 18, and 21. Would you want your children to be around a person who did those kinds of things? I didn't say think about all the good things you did. Think about the worst things you did. Would you want your children now to be around people who did those things? David prays in Psalm 25, do not remember the sins of my youth. Why? Because David knew the kinds of things that were in his heart and in his soul. If you are young, probably you are going on in these sins without even realizing what you're doing. Ask God, show me the sins of a young person. What are the sins of a young person? Cocky, overconfident. Boys, young men, guard yourselves from saying this when someone tells you something. Oh, I know. Oh, really? Oh, really? You're 11 and you knew what I at 44 had to teach you. Boys, don't say that. Even if you knew it, it is to your credit if you don't say it. Be humble. Don't be cocky and overconfident. Rude and disrespectful. Lustful and impure. Attention-seeking. Sins of youth. Number three, show me the sins of my speech. James says that the sins of the tongue are so great that if you could just control your words, you would be a perfect man. Ungrateful talk, complaining, murmuring, Do you realize how often you complain? Do you realize how often you murmur? Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining. Does a day commonly finish where you don't complain about something, if not outwardly, at least in your heart? Lying, shading the truth, withholding part of the truth, faithless words. How many times do we go to pray and we pray things that we don't even believe? That's a sin of the tongue. Profitless babbling, Matthew 12, verse 36. 
Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Every idle word. Profitless, foolish, babbling, going on and on. In the old days, do you remember the old TVs? Is there anyone here who can remember the old TVs? They were very large, and you would turn them on, and you had to wait. And it would take about two minutes to warm up. And then slowly the picture would come in. Can you remember those? And it had an antenna, and you had to move the, the metal antenna in order to get the picture clear. And sometimes, if the signal wasn't clear, you would just see a, a fuzzy screen. Do you remember that? Someone told me years ago, thinking of those TVs, if your mind goes blank like the TV, don't forget to shut off the sound. Do you remember those TVs? Because you would be watching your show, and then suddenly it would go to the fuzz, and you would hear... And you, oh, turn that down, turn that down. Sometimes our minds are like that. We lose our signal, and what's coming out? Nothing, foolishness. Stop it. Turn that off. Pray that God would show that to you. Show me the sins. Number four, uh, four of 24, I'll remind you. Number four, show me the sins of my foolish judgments. It is a command of the Bible to be wise, but we often come to very silly conclusions like COVID is going to kill us all. I better quit worshiping God with Christians because of the virus. What a silly conclusion to come to. I'd better not go to work. I'd better not send my children to be educated because there's a virus. What a silly conclusion. What a bad judgment. Sometimes we cling to the most ridiculous ideas Why? Because they are our own. We're like that, aren't we? Pray and ask God, reveal to me my foolish conclusions. You have a lot of them. Ways you cook, ways you drive, ways you get dressed, ways you think about yourself when no one is around. You're by yourself and you start talking to yourself. And if someone heard you, you would be so embarrassed because the things you're saying and the things you're thinking are ridiculous. If there were a billboard over your head or a screen over your head where people could see your thoughts, you would be embarrassed, ashamed. You're coming to foolish conclusions. Pray that God would reveal them to you. Because in Mark chapter 4 verse 27 it says, There is coming a day when all of those foolish conclusions will be revealed to all the world. Why not pray for them to be revealed when? Right now. So that you have time to change them. When, when you're praying about your foolish conclusions, you pray, God, show me the frequency of my bad judgments. It happens a lot more than you think. Show me the magnitude of my bad judgments. We have big things that we're wrong about. Show me the forgetfulness of my own bad judgments. How many times do we make bad judgments and then we forget six months later and here we are, like let's just say, I make a bad decision with my wife. I'll give an example. Years ago, we were driving and my wife wanted to wrap the suitcases on top of our vehicle. And I said, no, we don't need to do that. And then she said, it might rain. And I say, might, might, might. We don't need to worry about that. It rained that day on the trip. 
And six months later or a year later, when we take another trip, what do I forget? What do I forget? I forget that it rained. I forget that I said, no, I don't want to cover those suitcases. No, I don't want to do that. Relax. You're always worrying. You women worry. I forget that I accused her. I forget that I didn't help her. I forget that it rained. I forget that things got wet. I forget that she had to wash the clothes. I forget that she had these concerns about the books that were up there. I forget, and you do it too, don't you? You make a lot of foolish decisions, and you cause other people pain, and you sin against God, and then four months later or four days later, you forget that you ever did that thing, right? You should be praying this month, the month of September, say, oh God, show me how many times in a row I do stupid things, and then I forget the next week that I did it. Number five. Show me the sins of my thoughts. Pride. That background belief that I really do deserve good turns in life. Two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I was at a small church in Florida. It was about 30 people, a little bit bigger than ours. And in that church, one of the men had a job, but about four months ago, he had a stroke. He's about 40 years old. He had a stroke, and now he can't go to work. He lost his job. Another man in that same place got very sick, has high blood pressure now, and he might lose his job for the same thing. A woman in that church was very sick, and because of the economy, they weren't able to support the pastor, so he had to get a second job. And the pastor said, we've had some really hard things happen in our congregation recently. And some of us are asking, why me? And the pastor of this little congregation said, I want to ask you, why not you? I hadn't thought that. (laughs) Think back to all the sins of your thoughts and your mind and your heart and your life. Isn't it just pride to say, why should I be suffering? I can see why Dorothy should suffer because look at her. But me? No, and, and isn't it? Why not me? Consider the sins of our thoughts like profanity, sacrilege, taking holy things in a common way. What about the sins of your thoughts? How much of your brain is, is um, blocked off for TV Movies, entertainment, and fun. How much of your brain is blocked off for that? How much of your brain is blocked off for reading the book of Isaiah? The sins of our thoughts. There are more. I'll just keep moving on. Number six. Show me the sins of my worship. Sins of worship? Yes. How many of us came in today assuming... Oh, God will accept me. In fact, we didn't even think about it. We just came to church knowing however I dress, whenever I come, whether I pray or don't pray. I mean, it's, uh, it's Sunday, so I go to church. Yeah, God will accept me. He's happy with me. Oh, really? What was, how was he feeling toward Job? Toward Job's friends? We don't even think, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I just... What about the sins of our worship calling my personal entertainment... Acceptable worship to God. 
Many people make choices in their church, in their Bible, in their preaching, in their singing, in their praying, in their building design. Many people make choices about worship based on what is personally entertaining to them, not through the lens of what kind of thing does God want? Have we done that? Or what about this? Sins of worship. We have no concern about whether our children are involved. I have heard so many times, I just want to shout the next time someone tells me and just get in their face and say, my hands are going to be clean. Stop giving your child a choice to come to church. Do you give your child a choice on whether to play on N1? Well, if he wants to play soccer on N1, I guess he can do it. Well, if he wants to brush his teeth, you know, I said... You know, you might want to brush your teeth. No, if he doesn't brush his teeth, say, get in there and put that toothpaste on the brush and brush your teeth. Well, he's, he's seven years old and he doesn't want to take a bath. Do you allow your child to take a, make a choice about taking a bath? But, but about church, well, you know, he said he doesn't want to. It's a sin of worship. No concern about our children. Many, many more. Number seven, show me the sins that I rationalize and for which I make excuses, self-pity, tearing down good people, replaying the faults of others so that I look or feel better in comparison to them. Do you do that? We all do that, don't we? We talk in certain ways to make ourselves feel good, making excuses for our failure to read our Bible, our disobedience our laziness and sloth, our enjoyment of worldly entertainment. Ask God, oh God, show me the sins that I rationalize. Show me the sins that I make excuses for. Number eight, show me the sins of my money. Buying more things to make me comfortable than to develop the mind and soul of my child. I ask, how many of us have jobs but we haven't bought Bibles for our children? We have plenty of money to spend on seeing Top Gun 2. But our kids still don't have Bibles. Or they have Bibles but no library. We don't bother to develop their minds. We don't think about teaching them a catechism. But we've got time for every other comfort in the world. What about this? Show me the sins of my money. Giving money to religious false teachers. Or giving money to teachers in universities who hate God, who despise manhood, who hate freedom, and who doubt that God made the world. Show me the sins of my money, neglecting to offer money consistently. Show me the sins of my money, not supporting a church planter. Show me the sins of my money, taking money without working for it and not being generous to those who need it. Show me the sins of my money, investing in earth rather than in heaven. What kind of sins do we have with our money? Ask God to show it to you. Randy Alcorn in his excellent book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. At one point he says this. If you can just record every expense that someone makes for an entire month, every penny that's spent for a month, you can basically have a portrait of that person. You can tell if they're a male or a female. You can tell if they're young or old. You can tell if they have kids or a wife. You can tell them if they own a home or rent a home. You can tell if they own a car or rent a car. You can tell if they have a job or if they're just getting peace jobs. You can tell if they're children or adults. 
You can tell the kinds of things they like. You can tell if they're Christian or Muslim or Buddhist. You can tell if they're secular just by looking at what you spend every penny on for a month. Show me the sins of my money. Number nine, show me the sins of omission. Those are the things that I leave out. Prayer. How many of us pray consistently? What about this? Fasting. When is the last time you skipped a meal in order to pray for your children to be converted? Or your wife or your husband or your father or your mother or your town? When is the last time you've skipped an entire day, three meals in a row, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, in order to pray, oh God, make me holy, help me not to fall away? Caleb said to me yesterday in devotions, said to us as a family yesterday in devotions, Dad, I think the whole reason that the history of the Jews is in the Old Testament is to warn us about falling away. Look at the nation of Israel, they fell away. Look at King Saul, he fell away. Look at... Samuel's sons, they fell away. Eli's sons, they fell away. Look at the judges. Samson fell away. Gideon fell away. Jephthah fell away. Over and over. The men in the Bible falling away. And Caleb says, it's in. When is the last time we fasted for an entire day to say, God, don't let me fall away? Do you know why people come to this church and leave? Because they've never prayed, oh God, teach me what I do not see. Show me how sinful I am. Show me what's going to happen to me. We don't pray that. Pray that this month. You might become a church member in the month of October. Some of us have not become church members because we're not praying Job 34, 32. We memorize it and then we feel, well, I'm good because I memorized it. And no one else in Louis Tricart knows that verse. I'm one of the 10 people in this town who knows that verse. Did pretty good. No, you didn't. Go pray it until God shows you what you've done. Show me the sins of omission, prayer, fasting, evangelism. Have you evangelized in May, June, July, August while we were gone? Did a month end without you even trying to speak to someone about their soul? Your brother? Oh, I couldn't talk to him. What, can you watch him go to hell? Unwarned? Oh, I couldn't talk to my mom. She would never listen to me. I'm younger than her. Oh, you could, you could be happy with your mom burning in fire and your hands having her blood in, before the throne of God? Sins of omission, family worship. Number nine, show me my sins of omission. Number 10, show me the sins of my relationships. Easily irritated, quick to take offense, Slow to make peace, easily embittered, replaying the errors and sins of others, refusing to forgive, very slow to see someone else's point of view, unable to see any good in another person, crossing other people's wills on minor matters. Someone says, hey, I'd like this thing. Well, I'd like this thing. Yeah, but it's so, it's five rand. Just give them what they want. Oh, no, no, no. They don't deserve that thing. I will not give them that thing. Crossing people's wills on small matters. Crossing our authority. Show me the sins of my relationships. Wives not submitting to their husbands. Or remembering that you submitted twice. And counting that for all the times that you didn't submit. Or fathers playing your authority in ugly and cocky ways. That's a sin. 
fathers, to make your wives, to lead your wives into anger. It is a sin to lead your children into anger. It's also a sin not to lead your children. There's no, there's no perfect place. There's no safe place. You say, well, I'll be safe. I just won't say anything. That's a sin, dad. So the wife says, well, I just want, you know, my husband can lead in such a bad way. I just wish he'd stop it. No, that's a sin too, wife. He's got to lead you. Show me the sins of my relationship. Uncompassionate toward those who suffer. Number 11, show me the sins of my church. Wait a minute. Can we be guilty for the sins of other people in a group that we are in? Can I be responsible for the sins of other people in my family? Can I be responsible for the sins of other Americans? Well, now I'm, now I'm a South African. Am I responsible for the sins of South Africa? Am I responsible for all the Tsongas because I now identify? Oh my, I never thought I identify as a Tsonga. <laughs> I speak Shitsonga, I work with the Tsongas. Do I take part in their sins? Job thought he did. Job 1, verse 5. He offered sacrifices and prayed every day for the sins of his children. Daniel thought he did. In Daniel chapter 9, he prayed for the sins of Israel and said, We, we, we. Nehemiah thought he did. Ezra thought he did. David thought he did. So then, my skin is lighter than some people's skin. Am I guilty for all the sins of the things that other people did who had light skin? Are you guilty for all of the witchcraft that people did with dark skin? You share in the guilt to the degree that you represent those people. I represent my wife and my children to a degree. They're going to have to stand before God. They're going to have to answer to God. But I'm also going to answer for them. So to a degree, I answer for their sins. And to a degree, I need to confess and pray and guard and talk and deal with that. Am I going to answer for your sins? Oh, yes, I will. Hebrews 13, 17. If you're a church member here, I'm going to answer for you, which is why I'm very careful before I take church members. And if you become a church member, I'm going to hold you to it because I have to answer for you. We don't take church members lightly. So you say, well, then I won't be a church member. No, because you'll answer for that too. You're going to answer for not being a church member. And if you join the church, you're going to answer for that. There's no easy way out here. Yes, you do share to a degree that you represent them. If you join this church, you represent the other church members, which is why you need to love them and pray for them and talk to them. And if you see one of the church members out at pick and pay cursing out someone at the till, you need to say, whoa, whoa, we don't do that because I represent you. I'm from Grace Bible and you're from Grace Bible and we we represent each other. And here you just curse that out and all those people heard that. We don't do that. We don't act that way. That's not what we do. We are Christians. Pray that God would show you the sins of your church. Much more I could say about that, but for time, let's move on. I've just given you 11 or so sins 
that you can pray for. There's many more. In fact, I've got a dozen or more just listed here. Let me just read these categories to you, but I won't discuss them. I'm just, my, my point here is to show you, I want you to pray this month, teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do it no more. I want to encourage you to pray on any of the 11 categories I've mentioned. If you'll just take my notes or really just give yourself a little time to think, you'll be able to come up with this and you'll be able to spend five minutes just praying for one of these categories. Do you pray more than five minutes a day? Great. You could easily take 10 minutes praying for one of these categories. And I haven't even gone through all of them. I've got another 13 to list, but I only stopped because of time. Let me read these to you. Some of these are positive. Because remember, it says, teach me what I do not see. What about this? Show me the meaning of God's words. Every day you read the Bible, pray, oh God, teach me what I do not see in the Bible. Have you ever heard me preach or heard some good preacher preach and thought, wow, it seems like they get so much out of the Bible. Have you ever thought that? Why don't you pray Teach me what I do not see. And he'll answer and he'll begin to show you. And you'll say, wow, I'm growing. I'm seeing so much. Teach me what I do not see. Show me the meaning of God's words. Show me the meaning of hard passages. The meaning of biblical doctrines. Show me the meaning of entire books. Can any of you tell me what the the book of 1 Thessalonians is about? Book of Isaiah. Book of 1 Kings. Book of Proverbs. Pray to God, show me the meaning of Proverbs. Show me the meaning of John. Number 13, show me the importance of the church. Ephesians 3.10 says angels are watching us right now. Pray to God that he would show you the value and importance and glory of the church. Number 14, show me the happiness of heaven. Many of us don't want to go to heaven because we don't think it's happy. Hebrews chapter 12 says it is wonderfully happy. Show me the happiness of heaven. Number 15, show me the horror of hell. Number 16, show me the beauty of Christ. I've listed so many things under these, but for time. Show me the beauty of Christ. Show me my sins of ignorance. Show me my sins of presumption. Show me the glory of God. Show me the evil of Satan in his nature and devices. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11. We are not ignorant of Satan's plans or schemes or devices to lead us into sin. Number 20 or something. Show me the importance of the prayers of Paul. Show me the sins that I have barely, just barely avoided. How many times have you just barely avoided some terrible sin and you never even paused to think about it? You just barely avoided adultery. You just barely avoided lust or anger or murder or drunkenness or divorce. Ask God to show you the sins you've just barely avoided. Show me the consequences that I'm enduring right now because of my previous wickedness. I could list more. My point is, I want you, brothers and sisters, this month to use the verses you've been given. God has given you Job 34, 32, and you've memorized it. It's so simple. Teach me what I do not see. If I've done iniquity, I will do it no more. Go to God and pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, show me. And when you've chosen one category, don't think you've done enough. Because in this verse is enough to take you all the way to heaven.
What would happen if you prayed this verse for a month? Do you think God would answer you? Do you think he would hear you? Do you think he would help save you? Do you think he would make you a strong Christian? Do you think if you prayed that prayer for a month, he would show you the beauty and wonder of Christ? Do you think he would make you an easier person to live with? Do you think if you prayed that prayer for a month, you would lay up treasure in heaven and get rewards when you die? I want to encourage you right now to repent because most of us do not pray consistently. Have you no room for growth in your prayer life? Can you not say, if I've been praying once a week, now I'm going to pray two minutes a day, Job 34, 32. If you've been praying two minutes a day, could you not say, I'm going to give five minutes a day to praying just this verse for the month of September. I'm praying that God would teach me and show me. May the Lord Jesus grant his light to us and show us what we do not see. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, teach us, show us. There are so many things to which we are blind. I pray that you would do the teaching role. I pray that Christ would come as a prophet to teach us. He would be glorious to us as we enter October in four weeks time because we would say he has heard our prayers He's answered our prayers. He's given us what we need. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.